0: Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who... Worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks they he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me pray, preaching of God's word. Father, we, we thank you that your word is living and active, um, that it's not just this old dusty text that your spirit is present wherever it's read and preached. And so we pray that you would be at work, um, that you would do the things that we just sang about, that you would use your word to build a firm foundation in our life, that you would use it to show us more of who you are and of your glory, that you would Use it to then shape our lives to live and love towards those around you, around us, and we, we pray, um, just by your Spirit that you might work powerfully uh, in your Word tonight in our hearts and, and through Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen. Well, how are you doing at this point in the semester? How, how confident would you describe yourself when you think about? your grades, when you think about relationships, when you think about just the general trajectory of your life, where or, or what are you looking to place your confidence in? As I, as I was thinking about this idea of confidence this week, my mind wandered to a scene from the end of season three of The Office, where... Uh, Michael Scott, he's about to interview for a job with Under Mifflin at, uh, at the corporate branch in New York. And the episode, the cold open, opens to Michael. He's waiting in the office for the interview, but he doesn't realize that he actually got there a day early. The interview is tomorrow. And the CEO, David Wallace, he walks in and he's like puzzled that Michael is there. He's like, isn't your interview tomorrow? And Michael just makes up some excuse about coming to New York to see a show, which really doesn't look good either. But Michael, while he's there, while he has Wallace, he continues. And he says, you know, while, while, since while I'm here, uh, can I ask you a few questions about the interview? How many people are you interviewing? And Wallace responds, a few branch managers and oh, a few lower-level company people. And then Michael responds with a little bit of a smile on his face. He's like, okay, good. Uh, out of curiosity, are, are any of the people you're interviewing, have they been here longer than I? Or have they managed more people? than me. And Wallace is kind of getting what's going on. He's like, I don't think so. And then Michael is like, great, one more question. Uh, when you merged the two branches, uh, Stanford and uh, Scranton, if you watch the show, uh, who did you put in charge? And Wallace is like, I believe we put you in charge. And then Michael's like, okay, that's great. No, no, no further questions. And, and Wallace, he's leaving. He says, I'm really looking forward to our interview, uh, to which Michael responds, I'm really looking forward to working with you. And after Wallace leaves, Michael looks at the camera and he he just says, I've got it made in the shade. I know this company and all the other branch managers are total morons. While at the same time, he's on the phone calling Pam, the secretary of the office, saying, "Uh, I'm going to be two hours late to work because I accidentally drove... To new york on the wrong day why why is that funny and especially for those of you who have watched the show who know michael's character and the outcome of the story he doesn't get the job by the way if you're wondering michael is so confident but he's so out of touch with reality and, and don't we see that in our hearts and and in, and in, people around us so often we laugh at it because it's actually kind of familiar we, we have it's very natural for us to project this image of ourself it's really great it's emphasizing all our strengths while ignoring the obvious cracks and deficiencies that are right there and this is even how we approach our relationship with God we think uh, I'm a pretty good person like I'm, I was nice to my parents. I, I go to church. I show up at RUF. I, I volunteer some. I even like gave money to some random charity on campus. Like of course, like God wants me, on His team. And, and plus, look, there's all those other morons on campus that are doing really stupid stuff, getting totally blacked out out of their minds, sleeping around, failing out of classes. I, I'm not them. But the reality is the position that we think we have we're totally unqualified for. And our our confidence we're we're ignoring that we're actually spiritually showing up on the completely wrong day for the interview. And as Michael finds out later in in season four we were never even truly being considered for the position in the first place. And so in this really pivotal passage in this letter, Paul wants us to see that this religious religious existence-proving resume that our hearts chase after and want to present to others, it doesn't work. And not only does it not work, it's, it's getting in the way of true life. Paul wants us to take that old resume, to throw it in the trash where it belongs, and to receive a new resume that's offered to us in the gospel. And that's, that's our two points this evening in your bulletin, the worthlessness of the old resume and the surpassing worth of the new resume. So let's first think about the worthlessness of the old resume. So going back to the beginning of the passage, yeah, I love how Paul says finally, and like we're only halfway through this letter. That's like such a classic pastor Like long-winded preacher thing to do. Like uh, one more thing I want to talk about, but I think it's because he has something that's just so heavily weighing on his mind. Something he he wants to the Philippians to literally watch out for. He says in verse two, "Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh." What in the world is Paul talking about? I I know. some of you here are animal lovers, and you you probably don't appreciate. You know, Paul just throwing dogs in there with, like, evildoers and stuff. Like, that, that's not cool. But the reason Paul is doing that is because back in that time, like, dogs were really gross, like, unclean animals. Like, they, I mean, they would eat their own vomit and stuff like that. Like, they were gross. And so to call someone a dog was actually a common insult um, that the Israelites would use to describe the non— uh, non-Jewish Gentile peoples around them. And as we read between the lines here of what Paul is saying, who's speaking up here, the dogs he's referencing are actually Jewish Christians. Uh, I'm not going to get too graphic with you. I'll let you look it up uh, if you're still confused. But um, Paul disparagingly is calling them mutilators of the flesh because They're part of what Paul calls elsewhere in another letter in Galatians, the circumcision party. It was this group of Jewish Christians that were insisting that these non-Jewish, like Gentile Christians that were flooding into the church. That was great, but they also needed to follow the law of Moses. They did not yet have the right credentials with Christ alone to be in relationship with God. Why in the world does this matter to us? Well, this instance, uh, this example of the circumcision party is an example of a timeless problem that comes up again and again in the Christian world. There are always new versions of Christianity that are coming that are saying, yes, Jesus is great, but you also need this other thing. Yes, Jesus, but also looking cool and being relevant. Yes, Jesus, but praying and fasting and spiritual disciplines. Yes, Jesus, but knowing a lot of the Bible and theology. Yes, Jesus, but being healthy and wealthy and successful. And really, this beyond Christianity, this is the world we are around. This is when we open up our phones. This is what we see. People that are telling us that there's something out there that you don't have that you're missing. I'm having this experience. You should be having. You're missing out on life on this. If you just change this one thing about your life, things will fall into place. And often they're good things. But are they things we should really be placing our confidence in? But Paul, in in the next section, verses 4 through 6, he's willing to play this game for a little bit. He, He says... Uh, he'll do, he'll, he'll, he'll do better than the circumcision party. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. You're obsessed with circumcision. I did it the exact way it was supposed to happen. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll play your game of climbing the ladder to build your own religious resume to present to God. Well, guess what? I had the best religious background possible. I had the best education possible. I'm more motivated and energetic than all of you when it came to following the law. I'm, more, I'm so serious about my faith. Like I was willing to kill people who disagreed with me. If you look at my resume, if you look, if you track what I'm doing every day, you will see I followed the law perfectly. And what if we, like Paul, tried to play that game for a little bit? Maybe, maybe you are here and you are playing that game right now. What would you like to list off to others and to God to justify your existence? What credentials do you think you need? Is it, probably say it every week, a 4.0? Is it leadership roles in some organization or, or in a ministry? Is it a, a six-figure job when you graduate that you get like immediately after you graduate? Is it a really hot spouse? Is it just being someone who is just known on campus for being really cool, really nice, dresses really well? I, th- I think for me, like, what, what I'm currently trying to put on my resume has just changed almost every season. Of my life, you know, in college, it was a lot of the stuff that you were struggling. You guys struggle with. It was my major, my future career, and and my role serving in RUF as a leader. In seminary, oddly enough, it was the grades I got because I was thinking about doing a PhD. Uh, it was the amount of books I read. It was can I reference this guy in a conversation? It was the theologians and the famous professors that, that I could maybe hang out with and become friends with. It was getting the internship at, at the big church with the famous preacher. And, and now that I'm a pastor, it's the numbers of people that show up to things like large group or how many people come to know Christ or their lives are changed through my ministry. And then maybe as a parent, it's how well-behaved and smart my, parents, my kids are. Our hearts are constantly grasping for some kind of credentials to give us confidence, to give us something to lean on. So why, why is Paul indulging in this if it's supposedly bad here? Well, he wants the Philippians and us to know, I know what I'm talking about. I, I'm not just talking trash about something I've had no experience with. I, I've climbed the ladder, Philippians, that, that these guys are holding out to you I've been to the very top of it. I've done it faster than anyone else. And the view is not worth it. I mean, imagine there's someone, I I don't know that you know, that failed out of college. And they're just like doing nothing with their life. They're living in their parents' basement. And you get in a conversation with them and they're like, grades are dumb. Like, you shouldn't worry so much about school. Like, you need to chill out, man. You would be like, yeah, you're kind of an idiot. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, Like, I'm just, I'm going to ignore you. But now imagine a senior who is like the absolute golden child at Watford. Like, they got the 4.0. They have the lead roles in all the great organizations. They're going to have no problem getting into whatever grad school or medical school they want to get to they're loved by everyone. Like, If you are friends with that person, you get access to all the inner circles on campus and all the rooms where it happens. What if that person took you aside and said, it's not worth it. like, it, like it, It's not worth letting school just dominate your entire existence and all the meaning you have in life. It, it's not worth letting the FOMO of all the things you see going on that you think you need to be involved with, just take over your whole heart. It's not worth neglecting real deep relationships with others and, and Sabbath rest for the sake of your perfect grades and your performance and your future career. That, that's Paul here. He, he is telling the audience, I did what they're telling you to do. I, I did what they are promising will make you happy and successful and blessed by God I had that perfect resume. I was a perfect religious person, but I was an enemy of God. Paul's confession here, it made me think of this famous clip I saw a while ago. Um, there was like this documentary that was done about Lady Gaga. I don't know if anyone saw that. It's kind of dated at this point. Should have referenced Taylor Swift. I learned. We'll get that in the future. Uh, but She's backstage. She's about to go uh, to Madison Square Garden to perform, uh, and the camera's kind of zoomed in on her. It's like a little uncomfortable. And she confesses as she's trying to hold back tears. I just sometimes feel like a loser still, though. It's crazy because we're here at the garden, but sometimes I still feel like this loser kid in high school. I've just got to pick my crap up. Just more explicit than that and tell myself I'm a superstar every morning so that I can get through the day and so I can be for my fans what they need me to be. Like Lady Gaga is revealing to us, she, she climbed to the top and she still feels like a loser. And more importantly, the Lord through Paul is telling us that if you're thinking building this resume in the flesh getting to the top, proving your existence through your own strength is going to give you the peace and joy you're looking for. It's not. Paul's experience, Lady Gaga's experience, our experience begs the question that that James K. Smith asked. What if you're not wired or what what if you're wired not to be liked, but to be loved? And not by many, but one. Could that explain why all the attention is never enough, or why a kind of postpartum depression sets in after every win, every time we you make it to the top of that thought, uh, what you thought was a mountain of achievement? Why does winning leave you feeling so restless? What if we are wired not to be liked, but to be loved, and not by many? but by one and Paul Paul knows this is true that is how we're wired and so he he concludes all all that work he did his pursuit to be liked and respected by many is garbage and when he says that in verse eight he uses that word rubbish Uh, it's a greek word skubalon which a lot of translations i think just tone down too much like it It probably should be like translated like S-H-I-T. It's that strong. Uh, He's being like, this is really worthless. It's repulsive. Our fleshly resume, religious resume, it's not only useless, it's offensive when we hold it out to God to earn his favor. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You see, the old resume, it's not just neutral, it's a net loss. I, I love how uh, Sinker Ferguson, he's a pastor theologian, he explains this financial Paul, financial language Paul is using. He basically says, so imagine you've been depositing checks in your bank account all month. And then you finally get your bank statement back at the end of the month. And to your horror, you discover that instead of that, that money going into your account, it's been going out of it. Like every check that you deposited, it was debited instead of credited. And instead of having built up this massive profit, you've been building up this mound of debt. That's what Paul discovered immediately when he encountered Jesus Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He, he thought he was doing everything right. He thought he was doing exactly what God expected him as a God, as a faithful God-fearing Jew. But in reality, the resume building, it was only further moving him away from God. If you're praying, if you're reading your Bible, if you're showing up to a large group, if you're getting busy with ministry activities, Thinking you're earning brownie points with God, you aren't. Like, you're actually building up this debt for yourself. You're actually taking steps back spiritually. God God sees through our spiritual resume building. He's not impressed with how much of the Bible we read or, or, or our consistent attendance at Christian events. But the incredibly good news is he's very interested in knowing us and us knowing him. And there's surpassing worth to be found in that. And that's moving on to our second point. Um, the, the only way, though, to get there, to find that surpassing worth of this new resume offered to us in Christ, is to declare spiritual bankruptcy along with Paul. The, the only way to receive. The wealth of this new resume that's offered to us in Christ is to just count that old resume as a a whole loss. This really is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to say, I am spiritually bankrupt. I can do nothing to make God love me. I can do nothing to make myself beautiful enough, smart enough, successful enough to be a child of God. I need God to come in and to make me whole and to change me. From the inside out. And really, what this is, this declaration of spiritual bankruptcy. Anybody keep thinking about Michael Scott saying, I declare bankruptcy? I almost was going to work that in somehow. I did. Um, two, Two office references in one sermon. Whoa. Um. This is repentance. Really, this language of spiritual bankruptcy is repentance. And it's not just this thing we do once. Martin Luther famously said that when when Jesus said, repent, when he comes in the Gospels and says that, he didn't mean that as a one-time thing. He meant the whole life of a Christian to be of repentance. Every day we are waking up declaring to God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need you to come and change me and work in my life and it's not easy it's costly it means admitting that we're deeply in debt and sometimes that feels like too much shame to bear we'd, we'd rather be like lady gaga and just pull our crap together tell ourselves we're superstars and just keep putting on the show but what we get in the new resume is worth any humiliation we might receive for casting aside our old resume And it's really summed up in verse 9 in this phrase, being found in him. The, The hope of the gospel is not just God giving you a clean slate. It's God giving you this perfect slate that is already completely filled out. It's receiving perfect credentials by faith through grace. I mean, okay, imagine again, scenario. You're doing terrible. Worst semester of your life, like, You are about to fail every class, and they're easy classes. They're classes that, like, your friends are like, why are you failing that class? And that you have, your best friend, uh, has absolutely perfect grades in the hardest classes. And and you're at the end of the semester, you're going to log in and and look. You don't even know why you're looking at this just inevitable judgment you're going to receive. But when you open it up, instead of your grades... You see your friends. Your, your friend, he's somehow, you know, he was also like a computer science genius. He hacked in there and he switched the grades out. And he, he's going to drop out of school and you will be staying. And from the school's perspective, they see perfection when they look at you. That, that's what being found in Christ is. Like, the gospel is that Christ lived the life that we should have lived. And, and he took the punishment that we should have received on the cross so that we might receive this new spotless righteousness that frees us to live boldly as children of God. And it's not only that being found in him, we become like him. That's what Paul, he doesn't stop there as he's closing out the section, as he's declared spiritual bankruptcy. He's not doing it so he can be like, okay, cool, God forgives me. Like now I can do whatever I want. What do we see he writes there in verse 11? He does it so that he may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that he may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Being found in him, Paul's not only justified, given this righteousness that, that is Christ, but he's also being sanctified. He's being made more like Jesus in reality, and he is awaiting the completion of that inglorification when Jesus returns, when he raises Paul from the grave, and he will be perfect, actually, in all ways like Jesus. It's sort of like, going back to that illustration, not only does the friend switch out his grades for ours, but then he comes alongside us, the rest of our time in college, and he tutors us through every class. He walks us through the whole process. He is right there with us all the way to graduation. And yes, as Paul says, this involves suffering. It involves hard work. It involves dying to ourselves. But it's, it's something that we're no longer doing with this angry God looking far off, looking at us with judgment, but with a, a compassionate, patient Jesus right by our side. Let me close us in prayer. <coughs> Father, we confess uh, that so often we, we're resume builders. We, we really want uh, to others to see uh, us as awesome. We want you to see us as awesome. We, we, don't, we don't like admitting how broken we are, how needy we are, how dependent on you we are. But life and joy and peace is found in doing that. And so we pray you would help us to do that. Just compel us with the surpassing worth of of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. And may, may that be so beautiful to us that we are, we are willing to face the shame of, of leaving the rat race uh, that the world is so often calling us into. And we're willing to, to even share in, in the sufferings because it we know that you've loved us and you've given it everything for us. And so we, we pray you might this week make Jesus more real, more believable, more beautiful in our hearts. So um, that we might grow uh, in our knowledge of him and follow him more deeply. And we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. You can stand and sing. Last song.